Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Singer, songwriter, Carol Lipnick marches, well, I mean sings, to her own drummer, weaving together folk, traditional pop, world music, and art into a unique hybrid. Acclaimed for her multi-octave range and original songs, which are haunting, prayer-like, as well as funny and touching, Carol has been called an ethereal vocal phenomenon by the New York Times. Michael Musto of Out Magazine wrote that Carol, who's been called one of New York's most inventive singers and performance artists, is a wonderful amalgam of Joni Mitchell, Lada Lenya, Theda Barra, and Stevie Nicks, but totally original. And this from New York Music Daily. Carol Lipnick might not just be the best singer in New York, she might be the best singer anywhere. Winner of the Broadway World Award for Best Alternative Cabaret Show, Carol has six albums under her belt. The latest, Goddess of Imperfection, pays tribute to the uncertain state of the world with original songs that, quote, reach above the chaos and reflect back on our tangled, beast-ridden planet. And according to Carol, a prominent theme of the album is the beauty of humility in the face of brutality and chaos. Carol, who has performed at Manhattan's iconic Joe's Pub, Lincoln Center, the Hudson Opera House, is also a three-time artist-in-residence at the Yaddo Art Colony in New York's Saratoga Springs. So let's meet and get to know this creative original musical heavyweight. Carol, welcome and thanks so much for joining me from New York City. Hi, Sandy. Thanks for having me on your show. So excited. So am I. So we're going to go back in the day. <laughs> Were you singing in the shower? What What's with you and vocals? Well, you know, I, I grew up in, in an apartment building, in an apartment complex in Coney Island. For our listeners who may not know, that's in Brooklyn. Coney Island is in Brooklyn, and it's a, a historical amusement park <laughs> uh, <laughs> site. <laughs> and uh, I grew up there during its nadir. <clears throat> in the apartment building, they had these staircases um, and I used to sing a lot in Staircase, and that's where I, I got my love for uh, Yeah, Echo I was going to say, what a perfect and, play. Yeah. Digital mm-hmm. delay. <laughs> and um, it's mm-hmm. like a church, only it's a, a staircase. But why did you do that? How is it and when is it that music spoke to you? I started out as a visual artist, and I was a visual artist for like uh, uh, one-third of my life. And um, I just... Um, I got in touch with the fact that I could sing because it was a a talent that I accessed later in my life. So I got in touch with that when I first heard the singer songwriters like um, Joni Mitchell and Lauren And so, and I loved poetry then. I was kind of a really quiet, shy child and I was very bookish. (laughs) So I, I just couldn't believe that you could take the art of poetry and, and combine it with music and song. And for me, song is, is kind of like a, a primal thing. It's like uh, the art of singing is like howling, mm-hmm. like, uh, like, like, like an animal howls. And a lot of songs are kind of maiden calls. So it kind of is all tied up in the, the primal wail. And so I just combined the, the combination of poetry and song really, really hit me. And uh, inspired me to to do. Yeah, but it. I want to go back to singing in the stairwell. That you were not doing that, let's say, as an eighteen-year-old. 
obviously you were much younger. Um, yes, that's when Seriously? I was doing it. But I didn't, yes. So yes. this was not something yes. that spoke to you or you connected with at a much younger age. Like, oh, you want to go way back. Uh, my parents were school teachers. And they uh, really encouraged creativity and art in the house. And so they always had music in the house and like anywhere from the Beatles to the, to Frank Sinatra. And the, uh, there was a popular show at the time called, um, Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you remember Ellie Stone and Mort Schumann. And so my brother and I, my brother's a musician too. And my brother and I used to, my, my mom used to make trot us out and have us sing for mm -hmm. the company. And we would sing the songs from Jacques Brel is alive mm -hmm. and well and living in Paris until it just, you know, it got, would get shut down when I would start singing my death. <laughs> And someone was in there screaming, let's have Jacques Brel move somewhere else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My death is, a, is a, a dark, moody meditation on mortality and mystery. And I'd be channeling Ellie Stone's quivery cabaret voice. My death, wait, mm -hmm. right. And if you've never heard Ellie Stone th sing, because she wasn't super mm -hmm. famous but you can you can go on your streaming platforms and you can listen to her really amazing and that's one of the voices that called out to me and made me want to become a singer i wanted to be in that realm that she was in singing about mystery and mortality and 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 channeling channeling the mystery of the universe you know which she does when, when you listen to this. And then my brother would start belting out in the court of Amsterdam, which is a very raunchy song, and then the whole thing would get mm -hmm. shut down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but even before that, when I was really little, watching the, it's a uh, horror movie called Mothra. <laughs> Do you remember No, Mothra? that's not Rihanna Bell. It's like a giant moth that's Japanese. Okay. And there were these these tiny fairies that lived in a bamboo cage and they would sing in unison to call Mothra. Mm -hmm. And the I was enthralled by them and it just made me feel like I want to do that too. Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> Live in a bamboo cage and wear well, an exotic uh, okay, teach us all. <laughs> and call out to Mothra. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, these are the things that that really hit you when you're little, you know, and, and then, and they stay with you and they give you a calling. <laughs> calling notwithstanding, I love to sing too. I, uh, no one's hiring me to do that. <laughs> when did you know that you were not barking up the wrong tree? Were you encouraged? Did you sing in the school musical? Did you take music lessons as you were growing up? Well, it was really interesting because when I was in maybe third grade, there was another girl in the class that was the singer. Mm -hmm. And she was like, she sang like Barbara Streisand. And I remember feeling a little jealous, sure. but yeah. also feeling, I suddenly said to myself, oh, I can do that. And I never can to this day figure out where that came from. How did I know I could do it? 
that I knew I could do it. And I don't know how. And lo and behold, I could do it. And so then as you got older, that got fostered in the sense of, did you take singing lessons when you went to college? Was that what your focus was? It just stayed with you? My focus was visual art. Mm -hmm. I went to Pratt. I went to the Brooklyn Museum Art School. I was obsessed with drawing the nude. (laughs) (laughs) And I um, I was, you know, a, a pretty good visual artist. And that was my thing that I did. And I didn't do the singing until later, but I but I could sing. Mm-hmm. I knew that. But then uh, sort of I had a switch, and I think it might be that singing is an immediate gratification, whereas painting is you're sitting in a room and you're just like laboring over right, something right, by yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. So I the the immediate gratification of the cry mm-hmm. and and feeling sorry for yourself. Like I can feel sorry for myself in a room painting, or I can feel sorry for myself on a stage screaming, and people will come to see that. Mm -hmm. And I will get the immediate release on satisfaction of screaming, you know, instead of painting. Right. So it's kind of a a lazier way to make art. I'm kidding, though. It's not. (laughs) And I didn't actually start taking singing lessons. Until a few years ago, believe wow. it or not, I have a very natural voice, and I was so afraid that I, if I studied with a, a voice teacher, that they would make me sing Broadway style, like Oklahoma. So <laughs> I didn't want to turn into that. So I never did study until a few years ago when I had the good fortune to meet Barbara Mayer. Gustern, and I was told that she taught a lot of avant-garde singers. Mm-hmm. And so I felt safe. I felt safe with, with her because she her thing is about making people learn how to sing properly without hurting their vocal cords, but their best version of themselves, mm-hmm. you know, but it's still themselves. And so I started studying with her, and, and she's wonderful. She's so great, you know. So I just became a better version of myself. And that was a big seminal moment in the sense that you knew that you could make a career out of your singing? Oh, no, I was already singing publicly before before I started taking lessons. Ah, okay. You never had to leave New York, did you? I didn't have to go anywhere <laughs> because everything that's, you know, there's such, such a great scene in New York. Of course. You know? Of course. Yeah. yeah. So what spoke to you musically? It's like painting or poetry. I create each song. Actually, I love the art form of, of song so much because it's, you're able to create in a song it's like dream time. You can create a dream, like a poetic dream. Mm-hmm. And you know how did it ever happen to you that you felt like you lived a whole week and then you woke up and you realized you were just dreaming hmm. and that it was only like a minute, <laughs> you know? That's what a song is like. And that's what a song puts you into that spell, you know? Transports um, you. Yes, for two and a half minutes or six minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what a fantastic art form to 
puts you into another world. Mm -hmm. You know, how great is that? So I, I try to create that every time I write a song. I try to create a world. So you wear many hats. You write songs and you sing songs. And then in performing, the intimacy of cabaret is what speaks to you the most in terms of performing? Well, it's kind of like, and then going back to Coney Island, you know, like mediums in a, in a <laughs> uh -huh. carnival. I like assume the, the stance of a medium because it's all coming out from me and of me, but it's not about me. You know, it's about the spirit of the song or the spirits that are in the song coming out to haunt the audience. Mm. And uh, it's subtle and it's subliminal. But I think a lot of singers, it's about their ego singing, like listen to my voice. Oh, sure. It's never about that with me. And each song is a different character singing the song. So there's a slightly different, I might sing in a slightly different voice. I might be singing in Ellie Stone's voice, mm -hmm. which I kind of do on this new album on a couple of songs, or I might be singing in Lota Lenya's voice. Mm, hence you know? the, the comment that there's a connection, those women who I mentioned. Exactly. It's never about me singing. It's always about what's going through me, through the song. Wow, that's interesting. And that's what I find so fascinating about the art of the song uh -huh. and the art of singing the song on the stage. And in an intimate setting... It really hits you. How much of your act initially was singing standards? I never sang cover songs in the beginning. Okay. I just sang my own creations. So it was about being this medium channeling my own my own voice. And it kind of flowed out of you. Yes. And it was a, a real natural act. Yes. Wow. Yes. But that's a big deal. But now I do sing a lot of covers, but I handpick them. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm always looking for something that I can, can get into, that it speaks to me, and then through me, I could bring it out. Mm -hmm. There's one song that didn't get on this album, but we'll, we'll do it soon. It's called Heaven by David Byrne, The Talking Heads. Oh, sure. And it was written for, I believe, a club that was really popular in the 80s in London called Heaven, which I didn't know. Songs are really interesting. They're like empty vessels, and they can take on anything, you know, at any time to you. Like, they can change their meaning. Like, they might really have been written about one thing, but to you it means another thing. Mm -hmm. So now the lyric of Heaven is, Heaven is a place where nothing ever happens. Hmm. Now, how now is that, mm, right? Mm. Think about the world right now. Right? Sure, sure. <laughs> Heaven is a place where nothing ever happens. <laughs> it's ironic because really, if it weren't for Trump <laughs> and all the chaos and division, I can go on and on and on. But imagine living in a, in a world where, you know, you don't turn on the news and you think it's World War III tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, sure. That sounds like heaven. But then you can think of it from another point of view, which is heaven is a place where nothing ever happens. That sounds so boring, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But that song really spoke to me. And I thought, well, I can really get behind that lyric and I could really, I could really sing that. Another one is Moon River. 
Mm. I do a version of Moon River. It's like an encore that I usually do. So there's a real eclecticism and versatility in what you do. Yeah, I don't stick to a genre. I don't believe in genre. Mm -hmm. I am all genres. I think song is song. If I can make it speak to me and then to you, then it doesn't matter what the style is, you know? What do you think that the times meant, in your view, about an ethereal vocal phenomenon? That's, in my book, something that probably isn't said very often about somebody. Well, I have a quality of my voice that is otherworldly hmm. and and puts you into this other world. And it's just a natural gift that I have. And I have a four-octave voice, and I can sing really, really high I don't know. It's sort of like when I was painting, I'd have a palette and there would be colors all around the palette. And I would just pick the colors and then mix them together and then paint the spot, you know, Mm -hmm. on the canvas. I do that with my voice. I have access to so many different colors and timbres in my voice that there's no limit to the access that I have so that I can sound like the sky if I want to. Mm -hmm. And I think people pick up on that, whether subliminally or literally. Right, right. How easy has it been for you to write your own songs? Is this just what flows out of Carol Lipnick's brain and heart? Well, if I'm really, 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 really lucky, then I can just sit down at the piano or pick up the guitar, ukulele, and it'll flow out of me. Mm -hmm. But that is so rare. Most of the time, I like to compare it to I've got a hat, a top hat. I have my hand in the top hat, and I'm looking for a rabbit. (laughs) And sometimes I can pull out a rabbit, or sometimes I just pull out the ears, and Mm -hmm. then I'm like, oh, these are beautiful ears of a rabbit. Mm. I can turn this into a rabbit if I really work hard. But I always have a notebook with me, always, always. And I'm always looking for inspiration from anywhere that will trigger a line or, or an idea or a musical idea. For instance, getting back to Coney Island, there was a ride in Coney Island It was a tower. It was called the Astro Tower. And unfortunately, after Sandy, Hurricane Sandy, it's not there anymore. But the top of this tower had, the way it was built, there was an elevator in it, elevator shaft. And the very top of it had kind of a hole for the cables. Mm -hmm. And it inadvertently became a musical instrument. It's called an Aeolian wind harp. So you can look it up, Aeolian wind harp. And so this astro tower became a giant Aeolian wind harp instrument. And I don't think many people noticed it because it was very subliminal, but it was a constant moaning, like ghost-like tritone that's like Mm. three tones together that Mm kind of clash. Mm -hmm. And it was just 
permeating the air and the sound of Coney Island. And it was kind of like, depending on how hard the wind was blowing or which direction the wind was blowing from. And it would, it would be like, Mm, constant, mm, constant, mm-hmm. constant. You could easily not notice it, but your bones would notice it. You would notice it in your body. You your felt bones. it. Yes, yes. And I recorded it before it was torn down. I re- managed to record it. And that influenced the first song on this album, which is called Aeolian Tower Lullaby. But that was an idea that I had from life, from hearing the sound that led me then to write the song. And the song is about the trauma of separation and um, that metaphor are leaves falling from a tree. And uh, I wrote that with a composer who's based in Mexico City. His name is Tereque Ortiz. And we wrote this song together. Do you have your own group of musicians that all perform together? Yes, I do, actually. I have, um, well, Jacob Lawson, who produces a lot of my recordings, and he's also an amazing violinist. We've been working together since, I think, um, 2001. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then Matt Canellos, who is my, my pianist and also a collaborator, and he plays the piano on this album. I'm working with some exciting new people at the Joe's Pub gig to do the album release. What does it mean, your connection to your music, that your songs reach above the chaos and reflect back on our tangled beast-ridden planet? The quote that I had said in the introduction. So it's a contrast, isn't it, between the shit that's going on in the world and then what it is that you can provide through your music, as in beauty of humility in the face of brutality and chaos, that you bring us some kind of safety and some sort of peace? Well, I have to say that I spend an awful lot of time since I was a baby staring at the sky and the clouds mm-hmm. in the sky, ruminating. I am a ruminator. So my songs are coming from the sky they were like reaching down from the sky and you could see them. And that's kind of like a sensation that I have a lot. I'm, I'm a person that is like staring an awful lot at the sky. Mm-hmm. And Which speaks to you in what way? Um, well, it takes me out of myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like let's say I take a walk to the river, which I do love to do, the Hudson River. You know, and I have so many dreaded thoughts about anxieties, anything, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. is going on in my life. As soon as I get there and I see the river and I see the sky, it's sort of like I recharge. Like it's a drug, huh? Well it's like, yeah, it's a drug in this and and in the sense that, you know, what drugs do is they take you out of yourself. Yeah. And so I'm not important. I disappear. Mm -hmm. I've disappeared. And I, I love to disappear. And that's what I do with my art. I disappear. And um, if it's working, it's like also like being in the zone, you know? So right. like, like being in the flow, you're not there. 
And and so I longed to to disappear. I longed to be not, you know, in my head. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes out. You know, I think people can, when they, they hear me, a transference happens and they can be in that head too. Well, that's clearly what the critics are referencing when they when they describe you. So I guess it's working. Well, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> but isn't that why you like why you want to go to a performance? You don't want to sit and watch a show and be thinking about your own problems. You want to get taken away. Right, right. But you want to be transported for sure. Like when you're little and you, your mother sings you a lullaby or reads you a story, right? The art is to take people out of themselves. And mm-hmm. out of their head. And, and then you can find something that you can relate to. Like I said about the songs being mirrors or empty vessels. You find something that you can relate to in the song that, that could have something relevant to your own life. So your goal, in a way, is to get us out of our own selves and be transported somewhere else and on some level make us feel good? Yes, exactly. And I really do love making people laugh. And my songs are, a lot of my songs are so serious in a very white clown kind of a way. You know what a white clown mm-hmm. is? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, a really, really sad clown, like the Pierrot puppet sure. clown. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I always have a dagger behind my back, you know, and then once I lull you into that place, I'll like stab you in the heart. Uh, mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you're like, you're like, stabbed in the heart you know but it's vaudeville you know getting back to Mm -hmm. coney island you know it's not real you know (laughs) i guess it's really hard to describe you because there's so many aspects to who you are and to what your music is don't you love having your heart broken in by listening to a song don't you just love that feeling Well, that's interesting. I suppose on some level I do. There's a different kind of dynamic with that. Maybe when I listen to a song that can be powerfully sad, I don't necessarily feel that way listening to it. Does that make sense? That your heart is broken? Even though my heart may be broken, I'm okay with the music that I'm listening to. Maybe it provides solace for me and and, and comfort and, and a calming Yeah, solace and comfort through the broken heart of the music. You don't have to have the broken heart, but you still can get that. It must be a kind of a drug. So how did the pandemic impact you? Were you able to cope because of your music? Yeah, and I also had a project I was working on during the pandemic. I was writing with two other writers, one of which was um, Jacob Lawson, the violinist producer, and... um, and Scott Killian, we were writing music for a dance piece that we knew was going to be performed after the pandemic. So I had that mm-hmm. to work on. And um, I think I did one of the very last shows in, in New York City at a club that I just adore performing at. It's just an amazing haven for artists. And there's uh, Stephen and Arnaldo at Pangea, the club, are so mm-hmm. nurturing to artists. And I was so fortunate to be able to perform there so many times. And I think I did the last show at Pangea. Mm. I knew it was going to be the last show. And I introduced the show as being, 
the last show in the world or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, that might be hyperbole, but it made perfect sense. I like to name my shows, you know, and, and collect songs for the to any particular show that I'm doing, you know. And so uh-huh. I called that show Natural Magic. It was really beautiful. And I was working with a jazz pianist, um, Mara Rosenblum. And mm-hmm. so we knew it was probably the last show for a while, at least. We didn't know if it was the last show forever. We didn't know. Right, right. No one knew anything. Exactly. And it ended up, though, being such a joyous experience. And, you know, you're sharing the experience with the audience, which makes it such a, it's such a beautiful thing to share an experience. And, and especially that particular show. And then after that, well, I'm fortunate that I have a, um, I live in Hell's Kitchen and I, in an apartment building and I have a, a balcony. I'm really fortunate that I have a balcony. So I just sat on my balcony and I, I was just, um, kind of learning a, a new instrument, the baritone ukulele. I had gotten a really hmm. nice baritone ukulele handmade and, um, Clearwater, Florida. It's a little prenzy and uh, very beautiful and has a deep sound. It sounds almost medieval. So I spent most of the pandemic on my balcony just playing this instrument (laughs) and singing Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the dismay of my neighbors. No, I don't know. Nobody was complaining. Well, (laughs) I'm not sure it was to the dismay. I would think they were grateful. I would have to think that they were grateful. Yeah. How ubiquitous is your songwriting? I'm always writing for a new album, and I have actually two new albums. Oh, so now okay. I have two albums coming out. So one is Goddess of Imperfection, and then the other one is called Blue Forest. And mm-hmm. and I've already, you know, started working on the next album, and I'm not sure what that's going to be called. What haven't you done that you would like to do? Ride a horse. okay (laughs) all right i would like to to work out a show that was like a theatrical a more a more theatrical show with maybe sets and maybe video of my songs Mm -hmm. maybe i would do that do you know what i mean like more like an opera, like an opera. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> like an mm-hmm. opera. <laughs> and that's certainly possible to do. Yeah, it's very possible. So I need to get get working, get working on it. Well, you, it sounds to me like you're always working. But isn't it great that the well never seems to run dry? It's my form of entertainment. Some people watch TV. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to watch television and then it's over and you move on. But it's very physical, too, you know, so so it's sort of like, you know how they have this new thing? I don't even know what it's called. It's like you put it on your eyes and like you're in another world, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like going to be the next yeah. thing. It's like virtual reality. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is what this whole art form that I do is. It is my mm-hmm. own version of virtual reality. Well, that's worked very well for you. <laughs> Thank you. As you look back over your career... What's your big takeaway? Oh, I'm really just happy that I've always been myself and I'm nobody else and I'm always myself. And I feel really grateful 
you know, I have this song that actually it's an, it's an, another thing that I have that's ready. It's an EP. And one of the songs on that is called My Piano. And it's sort of My Piano Used to Be a Tree. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the, 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 one of the lines is, um, stop pretending, be what you will be. Let your tree fall in the forest with a wild cry. With a wild cry, mm. with a wild mm. cry, and then I just cry. I do this like cry that goes all the way up my octaves, all the way up to the sky. Wow! Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But that's my message, really. You know. Well, it sounds to me that you are clearly, and this is a good thing, one of a kind, and that the people who are paid to critique get that sense also. Wouldn't you like to have on your tombstone? Carol Lipnick might not just be the best singer in New York. She might be the best singer anywhere. Well, that's really nice that he said that. Well, I'm glad that it's working. I really enjoyed meeting and getting to know you. Yes, same here. We're going to end this conversation, which makes a lot of sense, with one of the songs from your latest album, The Aeolian Tower Lullaby. Perfect way to end. So, Carol, thank you for sharing your life and your passions with thank us. You, Sandy. I um I feel really lucky about thank that. Thank you, Sandy. I loved I loved meeting you and, and being on your show. Thank you. Well, that's very kind. So everyone sit back and enjoy a Olean Tower lullaby by Carol Lipnick. Which leaf will hold on? When the frosty winds begin to blow, when the wind blows, when the When the wind